Hi everyone, time for a disclaimer. The information contained in this episode is not intended to be personal financial advice. You should always seek the advice of a professional before making any financial decisions and always do your own research. Let's get into the episode. This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money Boy. This is Black Millennial Money. Hello and welcome to another episode of Black Millennial Money, where we talk about how you can make more money, keep more money, invest your money and spend your money on the finer things in life, all from a Black Millennial perspective. I am your host, Joseph Walsu, and today I am with David Villa-Clark. But before we get into all of that, um, we have some notices. This is for you guys. We've been getting questions sent to us through Instagram DMs and things like that. And the best way to get in touch to make sure your topics end up on the show is for you to head over to blackmillennialmoney.com, click contact and send us, in, send us a message through that. So if you've got any questions that you want answered on the show, or if there are any topics you want us to discuss on the show, that's the place to do it. So once again, that's blackmillennialmoney.com. Let's get stuck into the show. So David Villa Clark is in the house. You've met him before. He's a chartered financial advisor. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to money. And we're super excited to have him back on the show. David, how are things? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. And uh, thanks for having me back. It was really enjoyable last time when I sat and had the opportunity to share some knowledge. So uh, hopefully that's been well received. Yeah, I think the people I think the people enjoyed that episode. I wouldn't have brought you back if they hated you. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is being recorded while we're in quarantine. And, um, and many people would have been experiencing quarantine alongside us. How has it affected you? Um, everything okay on your side of things? How's things in the personal, in the financial advice industry? Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, you know, thank God we are all fit and healthy, mm-hmm. even though we are frustrated in terms of being kept in, but as you know, it's for our own safety. And we'll continue to observe that as long as it takes, because it's much better that you've got your life rather than being stuck either in a hospital or even worse, six feet under. True. And for everyone, yeah. for anyone who is experiencing any, um, any of the, the more harsh consequences of COVID-19 and the quarantine, our thoughts are with you and our prayers are with you and we hope that you and your families are all doing well and bounce back from yeah. all of this. Yeah, true, true, true. Uh, your thoughts from a business perspective. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of people would have heard the markets going crazy up and down like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And I, I think when COVID first hit and we went into lockdown in the UK, you, know, you saw some funds drop by at least 30%, which then sets a panic in. And yep. typically what happens when people panic is they do two things. One, they draw their money out early, so they take it out before they actually need it, uh, or they then decide they don't want to invest. And both strategies, I would always say to the individual, is up to you. Nothing's ever right or it's never, ever wrong. It's down to the individual. But if I could just say to you that those people who took their money out, they missed one of the biggest days of growth in the market on March the 23rd this year mm. that having suffered a 30% drop, take your money out they would have missed the upside of the growth in the market on the 23rd of March this year so for me, I think whenever anything like this happens, I always say to people take advice <laughs> take advice take and advice. take advice yeah awesome, um, uh, thanks for that kind of summary of, of things and how they've been going on um, it's always interesting that you, because we talk about taking advice a lot. Another thing that any good advisor would say, right, is take a moment just to pause and not get caught up in the hysteria because it's quite easy to be emotional about these things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And money is an emotional topic. You know, whether you have it or whether you don't, it is an emotional topic. Uh, people don't like to lose it. They'd like to make sure that they've got enough to see them through. And some people actually want more. And so when you are in that situation where you have no control over how your investments are going, then people do start to panic. And also, you know, people start to make some dangerous decisions. And if I could just give you an example, well, some people who came out of the market went straight into cash. What happened to interest rates? They went to rock bottom. Yeah. So you're in cash and actually you've got no opportunity for that money to grow back. And it's right to be in cash if you actually need an emergency fund. Or mm-hmm. if you actually need that money to be spent on something in, in the short term. 
But trying to guess the market and trying to time the market is probably the hardest things that someone could do. Even experts haven't got it right. So, David, one of the things you said was about dangerous decision making. And that's something that really struck me because with everything going on right now and also um, life in general, we can always look back in hindsight and say, oh, yeah, that, was a, that wasn't a great decision. But uh, often it's the combination of s small decisions that seem innocuous that often have the largest ramifications. And we were talking about that uh, a little while ago in preparation for this episode. And you told the story of someone you had come across and just this idea of protecting someone that you love and knowing how some of these smaller decisions can become larger decisions down the line. I think that'd be a great story to tell the listeners today. Okay, brilliant. Uh, more than happy to do that. And yeah, it, it's a story that I just think we really need to sit up and take notice of. There's so many people in our community who this is affected by that, for me, this is the bedrock of financial planning. To give you the background on this, uh, a client of mine, his friend had passed away and he had three children, uh, three, three children he, he loved dearly, uh, one actually still at university. And I know it would have been his wish to ensure that in the event of anything happening to him, his whole estate would have gone to his children. He'd been divorced, so it wasn't going to the ex-wife, but he would want it to go to his children. Now, unfortunately, what we did find was that he hadn't made a will. Now, for me, that's the basics in terms of financial planning. If you have any form of assets or you have children, you really should be making a will. And the reason being is that it can help in certain decision making. So things like inheritance tax planning, things like where you'd like your children to be looked, looked after in the event of, of your demise. But in this particular situation, this man lived what I would call the immigrant's dream. He came to the UK post Windrush. He worked very hard. He bought himself his first property back in 1974, 75, I think it was. I can't remember particularly when it was. But you know what property has done over that period of time. Mm -hmm. you know, it's been a great asset class for people who invested. But furthermore, what he then did was actually buy another property. And he had two properties, one that he used as a buy-to-let, and the other one that he lived in. It was his plan as he was approaching retirement to actually sell the property and give the cash to his children so that he would avoid some form of inheritance tax. Now, this was just some ideas that he'd had or, or had heard of, but had never actually taken advice. Sadly, he didn't live to do what he wanted to do, and he's kind of passed away with an estate valued at about 1.3 million, you know, which is generated mainly from property. So, you know, firstly, well done to him in terms of buying property at the right time, and also thinking about what he actually wants to do with it. Now, that sounds fantastic. Children, three children, got some properties there that he wants to leave to them. And if you think about 1.3 million, you divide it up between three children, that's about 430 odd thousand pound each. Right? Mm. A nice sum of money to receive. But what they haven't accounted for is he actually had a fourth child. And that fourth child, is the government and it's called inheritance tax <laughs> and you know I, I always call it the extra child because people don't expect this joseph they don't expect that the fourth child is going to come out <laughs> from be from behind the curtains and ask for their share of the money as well you know it's crazy when you said that i literally thought that he had a fourth child that they were going to see at the funeral and it was going to be like who's this <laughs> But in a lot of ways, when you say that, inheritance tax creeps up on you exact same way as the illegitimate kid or the kid that it, no one told you about until the funeral, for sure. Exactly the same way. So, Oh, crikey. I mean, yeah, yeah. So ha had he made a will and taken proper advice and looked to start to move assets through the generations a lot earlier, what he would have seen would have been that he would have made a quite, quite a significant tax saving. So, as I said, to divide his estate between three children, as he would have liked, they would have received over £430,000 each. Mm -hmm. Now, because he does not have a will and he's done no planning around this, no planning whatsoever, what's going to happen now is the children will receive £308,000 each, and a taxman, the fourth illegitimate child, as you, as you called it, will actually receive more than the others at £374,000. 
Now, how can that be right? Well, it's interesting when you pull it that way, because when this whole story came to, when you were telling this story, and the reason I wanted you to tell it on a podcast is because there's a lot in the UK and also globally, property seen as that safe investment that everyone should get into because it's not going anywhere, right? A house is a house unless there's mm. an act of God or or something crazy happens, that house will always be there. And a lot of people's approach to property is that they're doing it for their kids, they're doing it for their family. And when you start using terms like this, I feel like the flavor of the month for the past few years has been this term, generational wealth. It's it's a really sexy term that you see all across the internet whenever the financial gurus are talking, but it's a real thing, right? Where you, you have the opportunity to leave a legacy financially for those that follow you. And a property being one of these things and estate planning being the extra layer to actually guarantee it, it's it's not spoken about often enough, right? No, it's certainly uh, in, in our communities, it's not. And it's a scary thing because as you, <laughs> what was the thing that, what was the thing that you said whenever you ask an older person about their finances? What did they say? Well, do not ask me about my business. My business is my business. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, found out, and, and, and you want me dead? Oh, what, what yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, are you trying to get me dead so you can get my money already? You know, and I understand where that comes from. I mean, our parents have been brought up in a culture whereby they work hard and they keep everything quiet. They don't have to be too flashy and boasty. You know, it's about working hard, protecting and providing, providing for your children, so that when you're gone, you've left behind your legacy. Yeah, and I don't actually want to really discuss it now. The difference in not discussing it is they're actually not understanding the consequences of the estates that they're building. Now, some of my mm. clients um, who, you know, born here, families, have had advisors for years and years and years, would never be in that situation of giving over that £374,000 to the government. Never. Yeah, and it's this level of advice that clients need to take even if they think that they don't have a problem because at least you would have someone telling you whether or not there is an estate that needs to be settled and also the best way around avoiding inheritance tax okay okay so i appreciate what you're saying david but i know there's going to be a lot of people listening to this and thinking okay so i I get the story and because I follow a lot of quote pages on Instagram, they they say um, smart people learn from their own mistakes, wise people learn from other people's, right? So I think it would be incumbent upon us now that we've presented this scenario where someone could work their entire life grabbing property after property because it's the right thing to do, acquiring asset after asset because it's the right thing to do for their family and they're trying to take care of their loved ones, only to see that become a burden because something that you didn't mention is that £374,000 tax bill is on the kids to pay, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's the estate. So the next of kin would be responsible for settling that bill. And HMRC, when you've put in your IHT 100 form, as it's called, so you've told them exactly what the estate is, they'll say, please, can you send a cheque for £374,000? And... if the estate is in two properties, where are the children going to get that money from? They've got a couple of options. One, they can borrow it from other family members, which is probably the cheapest and easiest way to do. Let's just say that avenue is not open to them. They can then go to a bank. And provided the bank is going to trust them to do that, they'll lend them the money, but there'll be a hefty, and I say hefty interest rate charge on that to ensure that they also earn their money from that. Then what's mm-hmm. going to happen is the young people are going to have to sell one of the properties. Yeah, yeah. It's not what he wanted or even envisaged. And it's why you have these conversations nice and early so that you can move the dial of understanding financial planning and intergenerational wealth. So, David, there's going to be, a, there's going to be people at different ends of the spectrum listening to this, right? So there are going to be some people who are thinking about building up their property portfolio or their investment portfolio, whatever the assets are that are going to make up their, their, their wealth. And there's other people who may already have this and haven't been able to, and haven't necessarily taken the steps to position themselves before that inheritance tax and all the things that come with it. 
And there's going to be a final group who maybe their parents are the people who have this estate that needs to be efficiently managed in, in terms of tax. And I think it's important for us to to not just introduce an issue, but let's go in and start suggesting some some possible talking points or solutions. So um, where did you want to start on that? Yeah, I think, you know, when you are in a situation that you understand what wealth management is and what generational wealth is, and whilst you may not have the funds yourself and you just sit and look around the table at your family, but know that there's wealth there. So you would know that your your, your family bought a property back in the 1970s and where you currently live now, it's worth three, four hundred thousand pounds. Then should actually really start to set trigger bells, warning bells for you to start to think, ah, at some point in time, this is going to come to me or another member of my family. It may not be you that inherits, but surely you're going to want the money to stay within your family and to go to the government. So once you're in that situation, and if you are in a family that can kind of talk about this, it would be worthwhile understanding what have you done in terms of your will. Now, as I said, most parents will say, well, you know, you're trying to get me dead. But you could say, well, the thing is, I started to look at my will and what it is that I need to do. And in speaking with the lawyer, one of the things they asked was, am I likely to inherit any money? Now, I'm not asking you whether or not you're going to leave me any money or anything at all. But one of the things they did say was that on a property of this value, if you were to leave it to children, grandchildren, your friends, whoever, you might have to pay inheritance tax of about £100,000. Is that what you were thinking of? And just let them speak. Yeah. Because typically... Absolutely. Typically what would happen... They're not going to believe you, first and foremost, because you're (laughs) you're not deemed as the expert. Uh, And secondly, they will become curious. So if they don't actually answer that question there and then, later on, they say, oh, so you have a will. Tell me about the will. You know, you say, well, I'm leaving things to my children. I thought I'd try to wait because I don't want to give the government any more tax. I've worked hard. I pay tax. I continue to pay tax when I get my pension. When I die, I don't want my children to pay tax for my earnings. So what is it that I need to do? And they put me in contact with a financial planner, and this is the result of where we are. So there are a number of things that people can do, but I think the first thing, Joseph, really is getting that conversation going yep. in the family so that you are protecting them as well. Cool. I've heard that people can gift properties or assets to family members to avoid taxes. In fact, I think... Um, What's his name? The former Prime Minister David Cameron. His dad did this. Like his dad was worth like <laughs> his dad was worth like eleven million, and then three years later, somehow was worth like one million, and then the tax on that was nothing. Right? How does yeah. how does one go about that? <laughs> yeah, listen, they all do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they all do it, and 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 you would do it too. You know. So the the thing is, you can gift property. You can gift your assets. Now, provided you survive seven years and do not receive a benefit from that gift, the gift is then outside of your estate. And let me tell you what I mean by that. If we take Mr. Cameron and his father, let's say, had two properties, one property he's renting out, the other property he's living in, he can gift the property he's renting out to his son, and the property is in his son's name. Mm -hmm. Wherever that income from that rental goes is wherever it goes. That's the conversation between those two. The actual asset itself, the property, is owned by David and not his father. Now, provided David's father survives seven years, that asset is completely outside of his estate. When he passes, he will not be taxed on that proportion of his estate. So going in terms of your scenario, and I'm just trying to do some quick maths in, 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 in my head, that's a difference of an £11 million portfolio where you have to pay £4 million tax to having to pay 400000 by clever planning. Yeah. And yeah. just just so we clarify something, you mentioned receives any benefit, but then you said depend on, would, let's say that, that property was being rented out, if if David's dad, so David Cameron's dad, was still receiving the income from that, that would be described as a benefit? So that would, that would be... Would... Desc- yeah, that would be described as a benefit, and that income could be diverted into a trust, should we say. Okay. 
So that so that's a, because you have to make sure you you essentially cut all ties with it. And it's not to say yes. that you can't come around for barbecues at your son's house anymore. But no, um, no, 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 not at all. You can't technically be living there or getting any money from the buy-to-let properties and things like that. Absolutely. Of a gift with reservation. And it's when people get older, they only have one property. They want to gift the property away but still live in it. Now, you can live in it so long as you pay a commercial rent to your child. Um, and that's fine. So there are ways around um, the income. Okay. So, and by commercial rent, you mean like a market rate? Or if it's yes, absolutely. So if it's yeah, market rate. So if at any point it's under the market rate, you could find yourself in, in an issue because there's a lot of landlords that you don't could. raise their rents anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. That's that's food for thought. But this applies to more than just property. You can do this with other assets in your portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, some people have art, some people have cars, some people have cash. Uh, so yeah, any asset that you own that has a value, you can gift away. Okay. And who determines that value? Because that's an interesting question as well. Can you just say, yeah, so <laughs> this £100,000 car is all of a sudden worth ten grand, and give it to your son or daughter? Yeah. Listen, you have to fill in a form called IHT100 where you list all of your assets. Now, if you've got a large estate, you can imagine HMRC are not going to think too hard about whether or not you put things down correctly. What they will do is do a sense check. So if they've got a chance of taking a tax take of, let's say, a million pound plus, and they know that you've got a house in Kensington, it's just showing that you're only going to be paying £40,000, they'll take a, a closer look, look mm. at it. Because houses in Kensington are not 40 grand, right? They're not. <laughs> they're not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, cool. So it's a reasonable sort of thing. And if you go too far with it, you, you could find yourself back at square one, essentially. Absolutely. I mean, if I give you an example of property in East London uh, that I grew up, it's probably worth about £400,000 now. Um, if the owner of that was to pass and they were to write on the form that it was worth 150000 £200,000, they would know that it's not. So they would just do a quick Google search of properties in the area and then they would take an average value. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. And I guess to be very clear that all of this is perfectly lawful. And an example of, uh, I guess, a sort of rudimentary example that I can use is that like, I remember being a kid and my mum would, would say, go, to, go take some money from my purse and buy something, right? She would never necessarily say how much. But I knew that if I got to her purse and there was a choice between 50p and £5, I better take the £5 because otherwise I'm going to be interrogated. I mean, I better take the 50p because otherwise I'll be interrogated for taking the £5. So when it comes sure. to what you declare your assets are worth, try to keep it as close to the to the real figure, if not the real figure, as possible, because otherwise you're gonna you're gonna raise a lot of questions. Essentially, what we're saying on that front. Absolutely, and if you're working with a good law firm, they'll advise you accordingly. Okay, now um, something that's a recurring theme on this on this podcast, and it's something that I think is crucially important, is insurance policies. It's, it's come up sure. quite a bit, but how can they affect your, your ability to protect the ones you love as well as protecting your wealth and assets and building that generational wealth? Sure, sure. I mean, I, I like insurance policies. I, I really do. And if I can just give you another quick example, a client of mine, he was 32. He owned his own business in Tottenham Court Road, selling sandwiches. And he'd done some investments with me. One of the things I did say to him is, you know, you should look at getting yourself some form of income protection or critical illness cover just in case you have an incident and we'd like to make sure your business can continue. Lo and behold, six months later, the young man, he contracted Hodgkinson's disease, which is a cancer of the lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. And actually, with touch and go, everyone thought he you know, might not make it, but thankfully he did. As soon as he'd made it, the insurance company paid out, paid off his mortgage. He then received an income until he was ready to go back to work. And he ended up selling his business uh, in central London and now works three days a week <laughs> because he had that insurance policy in place. Now, the money he earns at three days a week is enough to just give him everything that he actually needs because he literally had a mortgage for a year, year and a half and now has a property that is valued very, very nicely for him. So it's 
it's what insurance can do for you that really excites me. You know, I just hope that no one ever has to claim on it, but I also hope that if you do have to claim on it, it's there and people have thought about it. Mm -hmm. Now, if I could just build on insurance policies and just kind of go back to um, looking at inheritance tax, you can also insure your estate. So going back to the earlier story of the dad and the three children, Mm-hmm. Knowing that there's an estate of £374,000, he could have taken out an insurance policy that pays out on his death for that amount of money, which would have been put in trust for the children. They then straightaway pay the HMRC and then still have their, their, their properties as well. So, so that's one way of doing it. So just to break that down a little bit, because you said that very quickly, um, what you're saying is that if you calculate the value of your estate, you can work out how much inheritance you're going to be liable to pay can get an insurance policy on yourself so like a, a life insurance policy or a whole of life insurance policy yeah yeah absolutely yeah and put that at the amount you think the, the inheritance so in this case yeah. we are we're pretty confident it's three hundred and seventy four thousand pounds you're gonna have to pay in tax so he can get an insurance policy that'll pay out as soon as he passes or well not quite as soon as but as soon as you have a death certificate send it to the insurance company they transfer the funds within a week or so yeah, absolutely. That's exactly how it works. You, you, you've explained it better than me there, Joseph. And you know, t- typically what happens <laughs> typically what happens there is, you know, when you are talking to the older generation, they say, oh, so you want me to pay out more money. But oftentimes the children would split the cost of the premium between them because they know what they're going to be receiving. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our good old friend insurance is aware of inheritance tax. I've heard of, I've heard of scenarios where people actually – Rather than, and this may not be the, the best way to do it, but rather than actually use insurance as like a protection for just a tax, often what they do is they take out a large life insurance policy and then slowly sell off all of their assets. So they don't necessarily need yeah. the cash, but then their kids benefit from their inheritance essentially comes from the life insurance policy. And then the government takes whatever they like, and then maybe they donate the rest to charity and things like that. It, is that, I know that's not, necessarily the the way a lot of advisors would do it but that is another way it's been done right yeah it is another way that's been done and as, as i you know started by saying at, at the beginning of this podcast it is about taking advice and everyone's situation is different i mean there, there will be some people you know listening to this whose parents have got insurance policies they've had for years you pay maybe a five pound ten pound twenty pound a month into it uh, which may have a financial benefit on it or it might just be straight death cover mm-hmm. now the thing with these policies is typically most advisors do not put them in trust. And the reason being is because to put it in trust means it takes more time. You don't get paid for doing that. But I always say to all of my clients, your policies must be in trust. It doesn't cost you anything to do that. And if it's in trust, that means it's outside of the estate, which means it's not included in any inheritance tax. Is that correct? Absolutely. So just kind of going back to the inheritance tax piece, Anything that's inside a trust is completely outside of your estate. But also another benefit of a trust, it gets paid out quicker because they know exactly where the money should be going to. Yeah. Okay. We're going to come on to trust in a second. And you've reminded me that I need to put my life insurance in trust because I did not do that at the time. Um, so, yes, I will, I'll make a note of that. But then something that's already been mentioned in this in this episode, I guess, is wills. How would a will be useful for protecting your assets and making sure that those people that you love reap the rewards of all your hard yeah. work. Yeah. So, so, so for me, I think any good advisor works with a lawyer and also an accountant. Uh, I do think that not one person can give you give you the answer, but we do work hand in hand. So, for a lawyer working with you on your will, there's a couple of areas that I think are important. The first one is your financial perspective. So the assets that you own, where you want them to go in the event of your demise, mm-hmm. or if you have an accident like a serious illness, what happens then? They also do things called powers of attorney, and that's if you lose capacity. Now, speaking to someone in their 20s and their 30s, they're thinking, like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to lose my mind. You know, I'm quite a sane person. But trust me, accidents happen every single day. You know, someone gets knocked off their bike, can't remember who they are and they need to have their finances looked after. If you do not have a power of attorney in place, it's then down to the court of protection to look after your finances. 
So just imagine someone wins one point million, two million, whatever it is. That money sits with a court of protection where they advise on how your son or daughter who's been in that accident is looked after. The reason being is because they're saying that you are not of sound mind anymore and therefore you cannot make those decisions. Your parents or your family may take advantage of you, therefore they do not give the money to the family anymore. But it's important that you get things like that in place as well, particularly if you're of a certain age and you have children. Mm. Where else wills help? Wills help in ensuring that your wishes are carried out. So, for example, we talked about illegitimate children coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> it happens, you know, and do they have a claim in your estate? You know, if you have been in a previous uh, marriage and you haven't got divorced, there is a claim on your estate. Mm. So it's important that you really sit with your lawyer and document exactly what it is that you want to happen to your wealth. Even things like your funeral, where you'd like your children to go, go to as well. So I would always recommend that and it helps with estate planning as well. Something else that you mentioned, something that you mentioned there is, is like people, the people having a claim and we see it all the time in films, right? Where there's this big payout and the, the siblings are arguing, but it doesn't necessarily always need to be a big payout, right? What you could have is, is someone, because I've got quite a few friends who they've got children with multiple partners. Now, oh, yeah. what you find is that while this person is still alive, those partners have competing interests a lot of the time. So sometimes um, this mum of child A want, thinks you're spending too much time or money with mum of child B or C. And that, that creates conflict while you're alive. But then that could create even more conflict if something was to happen to you. Because now all of these people are competing for the assets again, trying to look after their interests, especially if there's animosity there. And this can happen with, with small amounts of money because always in the films, like someone's a billionaire and they're fighting over insane amounts of money but in a lot of ways it's more important if you don't have insane amounts of money because you if you have to if you're splitting a hundred thousand between four people you're not you're not making anyone fantastically wealthy right whereas if you're splitting a hundred million regardless of what you get you're gonna be fine <laughs> yeah you're gonna be fine so that's an interesting way to, to look at it because again a lot of these things people view it as stuff for wealthier people where it's actually more important the less money you have because it actually makes a potentially more tangible difference to the people receiving it. Yeah, it really does. I mean, for some people, £25,000 is like winning the lottery. Yeah. Uh, whereas for some people, it's, it's not. And it's how do you make the most of the money that you actually have? And if you do get your wills right, then that certainly can help, particularly in that situation that you just mentioned. Also, talking about wills, how much do these things cost to do? Because I've, I've heard that they're actually much, much cheaper than people make them out to be. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you can, you can go online and do your DIY will. You really can. Mm -hmm. Or you can just write something down on a piece of paper. And generally, people say, yeah, I've seen something I can do for £50 or £100 online. I say, good luck. Yeah. Because you, you can know, actually buy a will kit from W.H. Smith or something like that, right? Uh, absolutely. For probably about £20, £25. But are you a lawyer? Is your will tight so that if there's any contention, mm -hmm. it will stand up in court? I always say go to a lawyer. You know, and typically with a lawyer, you're probably talking about £250 uh, to get something robust in place. If you start to build trust in, into it, uh, and you've got multiple family members that you're looking at, you know, you could go anywhere up to £1,000. But just think about what I said in terms of that first case scenario. £374,000 went to the fourth child a thousand pound could have stopped that yeah and the fourth child being the government <laughs> being the government yeah okay who have been taxing you your entire life and taxed every penny you make exactly only to essentially take <laughs> more money than your kids at the end of it yes exactly okay and that's an interesting point when you kind of talk about tax because i think people just see tax as the income tax that they pay but they forget about vat and they forget about fuel tax you know, they'll forget about capital gains tax and then finally when you're finally in coffin inheritance mm -hmm. tax you know it, it just goes on and on and on so anything you can do to pass your wealth on to the next generation i thoroughly recommend you sit down and speak to someone and get that that, that level of advice is required okay and we spoke about trusts uh quite briefly and i will put my life insurance in a trust for sure um but talk to us about what a trust actually is. 
A trust basically is a wrapper that goes around your investments or your insurance to ensure that it is given to the estate that you want it to. So by that, when we start to look at uh, life insurance for what, what you've currently got, if that's put in trust, what that means is that if something happens to you, it then passes on to your next of kin outside of your state and also very quickly. Mm. Yeah. If it wasn't in trust, it then goes into your estate, which then has to go through the full IHT 100 form that I talked about. It's then calculated and then the liability is then assessed. You then go through probate, which is then granted, and then the money gets paid out. Now, you just imagine if you're a young couple, one of the partners dies, and the only source of income that they've got is whatever's left in the bank. But they knew they had this policy, which was not in trust, and how long it's going to take to get that money. Mm. So it's a good thing to do. Yeah. In terms of investments, it can be used to mitigate against inheritance tax. And also, which I think more, more, more importantly, is that it allows you to pass from the wealth through different generations. Mm. And is it only life insurance that you can put in trust or can you put other assets in there? Yeah, life insurance, investments, uh, people put in wine, you know, <laughs> fine art, whatever it is that you've got. Yeah. So in theory, going back to the example of the guy who succeeded with the immigrant dream, he bought two properties and has three kids now. Um, could he have put his properties in trust to avoid that large tax bill? Not both of the properties because he was living in, in one of them. Okay. But he could have put one of the properties in trust for the benefit of, of, his, of his children. Yes, he could. And uh, that would have still stopped them from having the inheritance tax bill? Provided, because he would have gifted that property into trust uh -huh. and provided it was outside of the seven-year rule, yeah. the seven-year rule that, 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 that leads with it, then there would have been no inheritance tax to pay. If he died, let's say, after a year, there'd still be the 40%. The closer he gets, there's a tapering uh, relief. So the closer he gets to the seven years, the less tax that they'll have to pay. So this is actually a really useful hat for someone now who maybe has multiple properties. No matter how old you are, just put them in trust straight away. Does that make it, yeah. what, does that have ability to draw income from those properties, I guess? Well, it does. So one of the things with putting properties in trust is that you are saying you're giving this asset away. Remember that. You're giving uh, an asset away. So you may give this to your child, who turns out, as much as we love them, a little bit rogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've then given, depending on the type of trust, you've then given them outright your property or a property, which you then may yeah. change your mind as to whether or not that's what you want to do. And this is, again, where I say using a lawyer works really really well because they can then start to put into the will document the trust document if this happens i therefore revoke that part of the trust okay so that can work in multiple ways so um should the worst happen in those and relationships break down you can use the will to cancel something that's in the trust Absolutely. And it's not just that, Joseph. You know, people get married. They, get, they then get divorced. Mm -hmm. They then get divorced and someone then comes after your estate. Yeah. That property that you've passed on to your son or daughter now belongs to, uh, or part of it now belongs to someone who they're divorced from. That was never your intention. Yeah. Interesting. So if you're a multiple property owner, because I'm thinking of this from my perspective, say I haven't got children yet, I don't own multiple properties yet, but if I did, um, and say, for example, I had three children and five properties. From a day one, I could essentially put a property in trust for each of them, regardless, because yeah. for me personally, no matter how much my kids annoy me, I don't think I'm going to ex exclude them from my will. So that would just be that. Yeah. And then essentially the yeah. other two properties I own are a source of income for me or a source of future investments. But that when you put it in trust as early as, as early as that, the chances are that you, you could live for the seven years and be absolutely fine. But even still, That's you pay the 40% inheritance tax on that asset, but all of the, the remaining 60% still lives in the trust for these young people, right? Yes, you can. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. So, I mean, if you're confident that you, or as confident as you can be, that you can survive for seven years, you know, there's going to be no inheritance tax to pay. Mm. You know, however, there are other taxes that arise from that, and that's capital gains tax based on, when you purchased it, uh, when you've gifted it, which then would be seen as a disposal. 
but again, you know, that's a that's a whole different conversation okay. in terms of capital gains tax as well. Okay. And so what we've covered are this this crazy scenario of you working all of your life to build something for future generations, trying to create generational wealth, only for a large chunk of it, 40% plus, to be taken up in taxes. Now, you can mitigate the 40% value. You, you can find ways to reduce that. There are other taxes that will probably come in, as you've discussed, capital gains taxes, I think. But yeah. some of the ways of approaching that are maybe gifting properties and assets to children or whoever else you want to inherit early or earlier than yeah. you pass away, of course. Um, you could get yeah. insurance policies to offset the tax amount. Yeah, you, you could also spend a relatively small amount of money getting a will and a trust, and that costs roughly a thousand pounds max. Well, on the high end, it could be less. Well, it, it could it, be a little bit more, presumably, right? Yeah, it all depends on the scenario, you know, and the clients and the value of the assets and the amount of time it's going to take the lawyer to do that. So, okay, you know, as, as a ballpark for a very good structured will of someone who's got an estate valued about a million, I wouldn't expect to see a lawyer charging over a thousand pounds. Well, to be fair, if you if you consider that the house you're trying to give your kids, you've done up the kitchen for 10 grand, if it costs you two to make sure they get it, you would pay that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I guess you have to weigh up in that regard. And yeah. the people and having key people in your team, so that would be a, a, a financial advisor who would most likely recommend lawyers and accountants that will support this whole process for you. Yeah. And to be fair, these are good people to have on your financial team regardless. And would you say that it's important to, because some, because some people are going to look at the cost of having these people, but as a minimum, it's worthwhile having the contact. So at least should you require services from an advisor, a lawyer or an accountant, you've got someone to call immediately rather than to have to scamper around looking for someone. Yeah, I mean, the way in which I see it, uh, Joseph, is, you know, as, as well as being a chartered financial planner, I've gone and done a master's in business. So I have a good understanding of the legal process and also the accounting and finance side. And I would only bring an accountant in when it's going to be financially beneficial to a client. There's no point saying that let's have all three sat around the table racking up charges if they're not actually required. Mm. But every business every individual private client at some point in their life particularly through a business owner are going to require all three services okay all right now that leads us on to our next section but before we get onto the quick tip we're going to do something we haven't done before on black millennial money but we have something that is a particular package and product for all the listeners for black from black millennial money we have something that off the back of this conversation for those people who think they need a little extra support, want to have a conversation about this. David has got something really special and he set up a free review. And the way to access that is when you get in touch with David, quote black millennial money. But before we get into all of that, David, what does this free review actually include? When I sit down with a client, I literally ask them to tell me their financial story in terms of where they are now how they've kind of got there and where they actually want to get to because we're painting a journey and then what i start to do is to break down the areas that they want to improve from a financial planning perspective ensuring that we take into consideration all the tax reliefs and benefits that they can have which they may or may not be using or may or may not be aware of what i'll then do when i come to the end of that journey i'll do what's known as a lifeline and I'll give a documented financial planning report on what I believe they should be doing. Typically for most clients, you know, they end up having to do more than they actually believe that they need to do, but it's a process and it takes time. So nothing is done unless it's needed to be done and it's done in a very logical manner. So that's, that's kind of a review. It typically takes me a good hour and a half to do the first part. And then when I start to do my analysis, that could take anything up to three, four hours. And then uh, then just giving that advice back to the client is an hour. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So to break that down, the steps are that if you head over to dbcwealth.co.uk and click the Make Inquiry button, when you speak to David, you mentioned that you've heard about this offer on Black Millennial Money. Then you will get a 
hour and a half conversation with David to go through your financial history and see how he could help you. Off the back of that, David's going to go away and do an additional three to six hours of work trying to find what the best ideas for you would be. And then he's going to come back and spend another hour or so presenting you with a financial roadmap with actions and with actions breaking down why you should be taking those and the benefit you'll get from them. And all of that's for free. So you're getting what that's what almost 10 hours of professional service free of charge from David. If you head over to dbcwealth.co.uk, click the make an inquiry button. And when you get in contact with him, mention Black Millennial Money. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm prepared to offer this to the first three people that do that. The first three people that do that. So we need first three people that do that. I am prepared to offer this to. And whether it's for you or for your parents, when you start to think about intergenerational wealth, no, I can guarantee you that you will receive a very good service based on ensuring that your money, your family's money stays within your family. Okay, that's a good thing to mention because then you would be doing this for the next 300 years, <laughs> uh, giving free <laughs> advice to all the Black Millennial my listeners. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much for that offer, David. Um, I hope those of you who have really listened and heard what's happened in this episode, what we've been discussing and thought, you know what, that sounds a little bit like me, take him up on that offer. But... As we move on in the episode, it's time for our quick tip. So, David, what would you say is the quick tip for people who are mindful about protecting the ones they love and leaving assets behind or having the, the conversation about assets? <laughs> yeah, for me, I think it's don't be afraid to talk about death. Uh, it's an awkward conversation. It, people do get I think, slightly frustrated about it. You know, as I said, you know, my mum always thinks I'm trying to hurry her into the grave. But really, it is about ensuring that what she has come here and worked for and generated is that it stays within our family rather than going, rather than going externally. Okay. I appreciate that, David. Um, so have the conversation, speak to your family, and don't let there be any surprises because these things happen. It is part of life. It is definitely a part of life. But what shouldn't be part of life is 40% inheritance tax if you can avoid it. If you can avoid it. And most people can avoid some of it. Awesome. So, David, we're getting very, very close to the end of this episode. What are the three things every person listening right now can do to protect their loved ones should the worst happen? Three actionable next steps. What do you reckon they should be doing now off the back of listening to this episode? Yeah, I think number one really is seek out advice on how to set up a will, regardless of your age. If you've got some form of assets or if you've got dependents, you really do need to be seeking out some advice in terms of having a will. I work with a, a wonderful law firm um, called Core Maxwell, who are completely at ease with talking to people from all different backgrounds. And I think it really is an important thing that people should look at. Secondly, I would say, you know, that dinner table conversation when you sat, sat around it, whether it's Christmas, Easter, or whenever you go back to your families, and you just have a look around the table and you think, actually, is my family wealth worth more than 325,000? Because if it is, there is a problem sat right there. You know, speak to your parents, get a valuation of your estate, your parents' estate, and then start to seek some advice in terms of what you can do with it. So finally, I'd say be proactive with a conversation because you are the ones who are likely to be affected if this goes wrong. And when I say affected, I mean it's financial impact, which means that you'll have to make cough up and give that money to the government. Secondly, time impact. You know, when you think about someone's passed away, the amount of time it takes to settle an estate, pull all the information together, get the right information into the government and then pay the bill, it does take up time. And, and thirdly, it's an emotional time. You know, sadly, if anyone's been through um, trauma or having to help settle an estate, it's an emotional time and it really does take its toll on you. And that actually is when you're at your most vulnerable and at your most weakest, and that's when some bad decisions can be made. So it's best to get things done nice and early up front so that you know that if anything happens, you're all taken care of in the long run. Hope that's helpful. Awesome. So just to summarize those three points, number one is get advice on how to set 
your finances up regardless of how old you are. And that applies to whether or not you've got a pound in your pocket now or you're planning to have one tomorrow. Get advice. Start having conversations. Start building your wealth creation team, which is an advisor, also a financial advisor, accountant, and a lawyer. The second one is get an evaluation on your estate, but as well as your estate, if you have any assets now, or your parents' estate, because again, it's something to be mindful of and make sure that everyone around you is prepared. And thirdly, it's being proactive about this conversation, because if you are the person who's going to have to deal with the consequences, or you're raising the person that's going to deal with the consequences of not taking these decisions, not being proactive about it, it's, it's a heavy burden to bear at a time you may not want to. I've got friends around me who have lost people during during this quarantine and as a result of COVID-19. They don't want to be thinking about money. But a lot of them are spending yeah. a lot of time setting up GoFundMes and trying to figure this out when people have been furloughed, people have lost their jobs permanently. And this is not the time. So be proactive. Take the steps you need to because this is coming for all of us. Death is a natural part of life. It is, it's coming for us all. So. Thank you all so much for listening. I know that's a, a slightly somber note to end the episode on, but it's a very serious topic. It's an incredibly yeah. serious topic. Before we go, some notices for you guys. Again, if you want to ask us questions, if you want to have topics featured on the show, if you even want to be part of the show, you think you could add some value on the show, and you don't necessarily need to be a, a financial professional, but you need to have someone with, with a story about either making money, keeping money, investing it, or spending it. If you want to do that, head over to the Black Millennial Money website. So that's blackmillennialmoney.com and hit the contact page and send us a message through there. David, where can the people reach you? Because we've told them that they can go to dvcwealth.co.uk about the offer that you made. But if they wanted to get in touch with you through other routes to discuss other things, how can they reach you? Yeah, I'm also on LinkedIn, less so on Twitter. Uh, but my, my, my website is quite comprehensive around uh, financial planning. Uh, I've actually got a really good article on there. So, you know, if you don't want any financial plan advice at this moment in time, but if you go to the protecting tab, uh, there is a article, uh, date 29th of April, which is protection perspective, ways to help safeguard your financial future. So that's, that's a really good article that I think you can even signpost your family members towards as well. So for me, go on the website or con connect with me on LinkedIn. More than happy to help answer any questions that you may have perfect now thank you so much for listening this has been black millennial money you can find us at bmm global on instagram follow us and at the website which is blackmillennialmoney.com we have a show notes there and some of the ref some of the topics that we've discussed there will have links to it on david's website as well as the black millennial money website thank you so much for listening tune in next week for us invest money episode This is Black Millennial Money.